Welcome to Charity Chat. I'm your host, Samuel Davies. In this episode, we speak with Leah Davis, Head of Policy and External Affairs at NPC. Leah and I speak about the British government's levelling up agenda. We discuss what this looks like, how it seeks to address the inequalities that we see across the UK, what opportunities this poses for some charities and how they can make the most of it. This episode of Charity Chat has been brought to you by our platinum sponsor, Work for Good. Work for Good believes everyone should be able to turn the work they do into good. Through their fundraising platform, they offer charities a way to engage and work with small businesses, including founders, owners and sole traders who want to make an impact for charities through their sales. To find out more, please visit www.workforgood.co.uk. So without further ado, here is Leah Davis speaking with me about the levelling up agenda. I am delighted to be joined by Leah Davis, Head of Policy and External Affairs at NPC. Leah, welcome to Charity Chat. Thank you so much for having me. You're very welcome. We're delighted that you're here. So today we're going to be talking about levelling up agenda or levelling up generally. I, I'll be honest with you, this is not, it's something I've, I've taken some interest in. and I know it's got potentially big ramifications for the charity sector, so I'm very keen to talk to you, but I know next to nothing about it. So maybe if we can start by you really explaining to me what is this paper and, and what's it all about? Well, firstly, I think you're not alone in kind of hearing a bit about it, but not really knowing what it is. I think... Um, It was first mentioned back in 2019 in the manifestos. Boris Johnson spoke about it when he was um, first re-elected. And he, you know, he talked about levelling up and it was quite fuzzy. You know, it wasn't quite clear what it meant. It seemed to have links to the union about, you know, making sure that we tied together different nations in the UK. Um, It was also about... um, perhaps levelling up some geographic inequalities, but also about making sure that the the government repaid conservative voters, people who perhaps voted the first time. It was making sure that this government brought in the changes that those people wanted to see. So, and it's been fuzzy ever since. There's been various announcements, um, but it's not been clear exactly what what the the intention of it was. So the, the white paper that came out in January Um, it's been really important because it's starting to bring some of that clarity about what exactly is levelling up, what's the government trying to achieve. Um, Now it's long, it's over 300 pages and I think got quite a bit of criticism that it felt like a thesis in some places and having looked at it I do sympathise with some of those views because it's long but I think there's some really um, good things in there that tell us what the government's trying to do and it is a complicated issue, Um, you know, trying to level up regional inequalities is never Mm. going to be easy so I think they've said there's kind of four things they're trying to achieve it one they're trying to boost productivity pay jobs and living standards right mainly by growing the private sector the second thing they're trying to do is spread opportunities and improve public services Mm -hmm. the third thing they do which is probably the one that um communities might be interested uh, and charities is restore a sense of community local pride and belonging And then the fourth one is about empowering local leaders and communities. And in all of those, it's about it's about doing that in areas where that's most needed or where there's least of it. Right. So one, I think that's really good. We had some of those. um, uh, They had mentioned what some of these kind of ambitions were beforehand, but it's good to have them written down. 
Then they've said, right, well, there's 12 kind of decade long uh, missions that we have that are going to sit underneath those headings. Mm -hmm. And they are by 2030, we're going to do various things in 12 different areas. And I think the ones that, and they go from everything from, you know, um, healthy life expectancy through to better living standards. I think there's a really important ones there. There's one on well-being and well-being mm-hmm. about improving it in every area of the UK and, and closing the gap. And well-being includes, you know, it's, it, it's your mental, it's physical health. It's how you feel about the area you live in. It encapsulates a lot of areas that um, charities work on. Mm-hmm. So I think that's quite an important part of it. Um, and then it says, well, what are we actually going to do to achieve these things? And it sets out... Um, both kind of systems change it wants to achieve as well as specific policies and money and funding that they're going right. to do. Right. And on the systems change, there's a lot about devolving power and making mm-hmm. it more local. So there's, there's announcements of, of new mayors, similar to some of the metro mayors that were created before, and about taking decisions down to a more local level. Then there's a lot around the um, knowing what works and doesn't and getting better data and knowing what actually is going on in a local area mm. um, and then adapting it. So we don't, don't have so much kind of top-down national decision-making. We're going to have much more local decision-making. They've already announced a lot of the money that has been, that they're allocating under levelling up. So they maybe didn't have lots of new money in it, mm. but it did talk about what they've already um kind of targeted funds for levelling up. So we've already got a 4.8 billion levelling up fund. We've got a 3.6 billion towns fund in England, plus things like a community ownership fund, a UK shared prosperity fund. Um, so there's quite a lot in there around these funds and how they're going to be allocated. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think what's important in there, there is a section actually in the levelling up paper, which is specifically focused on communities. And it's about um, how we can empower communities and have them more involved in decision-making about what happens in their area. And it talks about young people as well as as well as physical uh, infrastructure in those areas as well. So it's a long paper, it's got a lot in it and it's hard to pick through, but I think there's some, um, I think it's a good structure to know at least what government want to do. The aspirations of levelling up, I think it would be hard for anyone to disagree with those because we can see, and I suppose the pandemic has, has also kind of highlighted the, the vast uh, discrepancies between different populations within the country. Is that partly why this has come out now, do you think? Yeah, well, as, as, as I said, like the, the, the idea of levelling up was pre-pandemic, but I think mm. that what the pandemic was really highlight a lot of, a lot of the issues Um around regional disparities, but it's not just about geographic, you know, from one place in the country to another. It's about different social groups. So, you know, we, we did research um, and we looked at where different social needs were and where funding was going from levelling up. And, you know, social needs between, for, for example, between different um, racial communities and minority ethnic communities, mm. um, there's real disparities there. So it's not just a regional thing. It's, it's looking at also... Um, different other social characteristics as well but yeah I think the 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 pandemic definitely heightened it and made it a lot more obvious you know the charity sector strikes me as being the sector that really is there for those people that aren't that are struggling the most in society and and do we get a sense from this this white paper then the leveling up uh, agenda that charities are going to be asked to do more or what what is it what is it likely to mean for charities do you think I think that it's, there's lots of opportunities in there for charities. 
So I don't think the government is necessarily asking them to do more at this point. I think what it is doing is is opening up some opportunities for them to be more involved. So, for example, um, one of the really good things about the paper, I think, is that it mentions charities and civil society a lot. And if you looked at the manifestos, as I did, from both Conservative and Labour Party, actually, there were barely any mentions of charities and civil society. Now, you know, you know, and I know that charities play a huge role in, in society, some of them working on social needs, mm. but they run sports clubs, they run museums, they run, you know, lost cats charities. You know, there's, there's such a wealth of roles that they play in society. And it feels like for maybe not the first time, but for quite a while, mm. there's a recognition of the importance of them. So I think that's really very positive. But I think there's a lot of other opportunities for them to get involved in this paper too. So, so there's also an opportunity for them to get involved in um, strategies um, around community involvement. So there's one on community spaces and relationships, which is about how communities can get involved and, and make decisions around what happens in their local area to improve their local community. There's lots of information and opportunities in there on how charities can get involved in shaping what happens in their local area. So there's mm-hmm. promise of kind of local sounding boards where government yeah. are going to ask people what, what happens. There is, um, there's some subgroups. They, they've got a um, levelling up advisory group and there's going to be a subgroup on communities. So charities can get involved in that. And there's going to be pilots of various things like um, community covenants where communities, charities, local authorities and public services together to agree what needs to happen in an area and what they're going to do. So I think there's some real opportunities for charities to get involved. I think the challenge for them is going to be knowing what to get involved. It's Mm. a long document and it's not clear always. um, Who are you supposed to talk to and how are you supposed to know? So one of the things they have in there is that in the Department of Leveling Up Housing and Communities, they're the guys who are implementing this. They're going to have a director for each local area. It's like the contact point. That's quite good because you're going to have a name that you can contact. Now, they've said that's the contact for the main kind of local person and that person is likely to be a mayor. But it also says if you have innovative policy ideas, you can contact them too. So if I was a charity, I would absolutely be asking my local authority, how can I get involved in these things? I'd be contacting the the, the kind of directors at Leveling Up Housing and Communities to find out how I can get involved. And if I'm not able to do that, because like, let's be honest, a lot of charities are very small. They just don't have capacity to do some of the, you know, um, you know, they're, they're doing frontline services. They really don't have time to do this. Mm. If they're part of membership bodies or they are part of other groups, ask them because they can ask for you. But I think that's part of the issue is um, there's opportunities, but it's going to be quite easy for government, I think, to um, and local government to just go back to the old ways and not involve. Um, civil society because it, it, they don't have established relationships there so I think we mm. have to keep asking the question how can we be involved what's the opportunity how can we do this to make sure they know we're here we want to be involved I, I guess that sense of kind of getting a place at the table if if they're uh, building that table I don't know where I can take this analogy further but that that's that strikes me as that that could be a good opportunity for charities is there any suggestion that charities civil society could get some of that funding to potentially continue to do what they're doing or to to work with the government to do more with but obviously getting that funding because I know that a lot of charities are struggling right now and of course um the the during the pandemic um there was this government um funding of around about 750 million obviously four point whatever billion it is would be substantially more um, and and probably welcomed by civil society so I think the 
uh, brings us on to, I guess, the, the, the not great news about the white paper is that it doesn't have lots of new money associated with it. So a lot of it had already been announced. And I think depending what sector you're in and what issues you're working at will really depend on whether or not you benefit from some of this funding. So, you know, if you're, a ch- if you're an organisation that's working in a more privileged part of the country and government is looking at, you know, changing some of its funding formula to focus on more disadvantaged area. You're probably not going to actually get that funding. Um, but if you do work in other areas where there, where there is, um, and you're working on some of the issues that government's funding, you do quite well. We at MPC did analysis of um, the targeted levelling up funds that have been announced to date. So that's a levelling up fund, the town's funds, which are just in England, mm. plus the community ownership fund and the community renewal fund. And we found that of that, only 2% or as little as 2% could be going on social infrastructure as in investing in people. Mm. So actually the rest of it was all going on physical infrastructure like high streets and roads. Now, some of that physical infrastructure will have a community purpose. And I think if you work in that kind of area and you're, you want to, for example, own community assets, then there is funding available for you. But I think, for example, if you are working in the um, criminal justice sector, perhaps you're working with um, people who have committed crimes and you're, you're working on kind of um, rehabilitation, ensuring they don't reoffend, mm. there's very little new money for you and really very little in there, actually, that, that will support you. So you mentioned some pots of, of funding. Yes, it's there, but it's quite hard for charities to access those at the moment. So I think... Mm. Um, a lot of it is kind of future funding or future opportunities. I don't think charities are going to see a big change right now. The only new fund that's come out is the UK Shared Prosperity Fund, where there is pre-launch guidance. Um, but again, um, the funding that could come through to a lot of the charities that are working, for example, with people quite far from the labour market, helping them into jobs that bit of funding has actually been delayed for two years unless a local authority kind of makes a case for it. So we're quite worried actually that not enough funding through levelling up is really going into some of the social needs and areas that really are the underlying causes of why areas, why we have such inequalities. And, you know, those programmes which help people into jobs, you know, you can't just create a skills programme and think that everyone's just suddenly going to be able to turn up to those and suddenly going to get jobs. Some people need support to get to the point where they can get to those skills programmes and charities play a really important role in that and they're just not getting that support at the moment. So I think the answer is there is some money at the moment. It's not really as much as charities can access unless you happen to work in certain sectors. My understanding, and my my uh, data might be out of date now, but the charity sector employs around about eight hundred or even nine hundred thousand people. And whether or not you know the sector could be looking at whether, aside from actually being on the ground doing the work, helping to level up, whether we could also um, kind of look at our recruitment practices and you know the skills gap that seems to exist in certain parts of the sector, and whether or not we could actually become part of that solution as well. It's an interesting point, and I think it ties into something else that, that we found a few years ago. We did a report called Where Are England's Charities? And it found that charities, um, if you look at the most deprived parts of the countries, they have far fewer charities registered as the headquarters in those area, areas, the more affluent areas. Now, it might be that um, 
actually there are big national charities that are working in local areas and they're just headquartered somewhere else. So it isn't the best picture, but it does does show a general trend that perhaps there aren't charities in the areas that are most needed. So I think um, there's a question around where they're based and are they supporting areas where there might be most social need? And then I guess your question is um, comes in is whether or not um, they're providing the right skills within their own employees mm-hmm. to really do these things. And I, I think that's that's a question the sector does need to ask itself, actually. But I think um, through, I think it needs to look at, yeah, where is it located and who are the people that it's employing? So we've talked a lot about the importance of having people with lived experience and, you know, making sure that you talk to people who are actually experiencing some of the kind of um different issues that you're working on so those are going to be I think really important for charities and yeah I think charities need to do work themselves um to help this as well so we're recording this in uh, mid-February 2022 uh, there's there's news today from Wales that they've just launched this uh, basic income uh, pilot which offers uh, 1600 pounds a month to care leavers <clears throat> and this I've, I've read this I was very interested by this because it wasn't too long ago I read this uh, book Utopia for Realists by Rutger Bregman. And in that, he talked about universal uh, basic income too. Do you get any kind of sense from any of the work that you've done uh, or, or the white paper that, that that could ever become a solution to uh, some of the, the problems that we face in our society in, in terms of levelling up? Well, you know, I think there's some charities that definitely have advocated for that. If you look at the white paper, there's almost... Um, I don't know if there are any actually, but there's certainly very few references to poverty um, and in terms of kind of income levels. It does talk about boosting pay. It does talk about boosting productivity and standards of living. So I think if you were to say how far are the government from, from that solution, I think they're quite a long way. And this paper certainly didn't give any, any, any indication they were closer to that. And it felt like the solution to um, pay and um, living standards was was driven through the through the private sector. Um, so I think we're quite a long way from that in terms of what was put in that white paper is the answer. I mean, I suppose Rutger Bregman did say it was utopian. So, you know, I suppose that, that in of itself suggests it's a way away, doesn't it? But um, in terms of, obviously, we've now left the EU here in the UK and uh, that with that came a lot of uh, loss of EU funding. I know a lot of charities you know, kind of struggle to make that back. Is there anything in the white paper that suggests that that, that there might be a solution to that from the government? Well, I think the big area of funds that, that, that charities would be interested in in relation to that was the UK Shared Prosperity Fund. So that was announced back with Theresa May, mm-hmm. by Theresa May, and it was going to replace two big European funds. So one was the European um, Regional Development Fund and the other was the European Social Fund. And together, they funded all sorts of things from skills programs through to kind of business support, SME support, also helping um, businesses to decarbonize and, and reach zero carbon. It was quite a broad um, fund. Mm-hmm. Government promised that it would have 1.5 billion per year as part of this UK Share Prosperity Fund. And it was about, as the name suggests, sharing prosperity across the UK. Um, government then went quiet on it for a really long time. So we didn't hear much about it at all, really, other than small kind of updates in in, um, budget papers until um, a 
pre-launch guidance was published alongside this levelling up white paper. And it said essentially that the funding is going to continue. It's not starting out at 1.5 billion per year. It's going to ramp up to that in three years' time in 2024, 25. It looks like it's going to cover broadly the same things that ERDF and ESF covered. Mm. Um, I think the bad news for charities is that the bit that they would have got a lot of funding through or some would have got funding through was on helping those kind of furthest from the labour market to get to the point where they could get skills and or get jobs. And that's the bit that looks like it's being delayed unless a local authority can make a really strong case for it. And I think that's really problematic because when you look at if um, when we look at how much money was being spent on um, total in, in, in levelling up on those targeted funds, and so little was going on social infrastructure investment in people, mm. the, the, the you know the UK Shared Prosperity Fund was a really great opportunity to start getting some of that money back into that, and it's not really happening. It's been delayed. So some of the money, you know, there is a big national out of that pot of the UK Shared Prosperity Fund. There is going to be a big adult numeracy program. So there's not as if it's not, there's not any money going into people and humans, but it's quite niche. And I think some of those other programs that charities would um, delivered really important programs are largely going to go or be delayed potentially for, for two years. There could be a big gap in them. So I think, um, you know, if, if you're a charity, you're working on these areas. I'd certainly start making some noise about that and saying this this feels like particularly the, these are the post post Brexit funds. The point of them was to share prosperity. Are we really doing the best that we can with that? And do you get the sense of when this paper is likely to be implemented? Is it is it already being implemented now, or or is there a kind of a time frame that they talk about there? Well, the missions are long-term missions to 2030. You could criticise that and say, well, that's very convenient. That's another government. That's a long way away. But actually, I would argue, we've said that a lot of these challenges we'll talk about, um, I hear often within the sector that um, government short-termism is really bad. So I think setting those long-term goals is a really good thing. Some things are already being implemented now. So, you know, the levelling up fund has already paid for infrastructure. It's going to be built now. Um, but there's quite a lot in there that are about future programmes. So things that are going to happen that, that government are going to trial. So there, there will be trials of new um, ways of working with communities, potentially through community covenants, for example. There'll be pilots, but we don't quite know the time frame or when those, those will happen. Hmm. There's going to be these new um, uh, strategies on community spaces and relationships. Again, that's in the future. So I think there's quite a lot that's that's kind of happening in the future now if you like in terms of building stuff that's happening now but most charities aren't going to be that involved in that in terms of some of the bigger changes we want to see i think those are going to come later on down the line so it's going to be quite important for all sorts of people to make sure that they're keeping up the pressure on government to um to keep doing that but now is time for charities to really start moving uh, into into uh, influencing this this process and uh, and making sure that uh, that they and the the beneficiaries that they represent really have a voice um, when it comes to the levelling up agenda. Yeah, uh, I think you're totally right. I think that we're definitely in that influencing stage. I think that we're going to have to 
make sure that we're seen and that we're heard. Um, I think that there are so many great infrastructure. There's a huge number of infrastructure bodies out there for charities. Um, they can really help you to do that mm. um, and to make sure that, that, because I think without, if we don't take this opportunity now to influence it and to shape what government's thinking in some of those local areas, it could be the case that for, you know, a decade, again, charities aren't just really being involved in things and decision-making are largely left out and are left in a situation, we, we hear from charities that um, they're just having to apply for multiple different funding pots here and there as and when mm. they come along mm. on the hope they may get funding and putting quite a lot of resource into, get in, into doing that and, and not being successful. So if we can get to a point where we're actually shaping that, creating better partnerships and helping, you know, government's going to review how to streamline funding. Well, charities should absolutely be involved in trying to influence that now because that's going to benefit them for, you know, hopefully a decade to come. Leah Davis, thank you for contributing to Charity Chats. Thank you so much for having me. Big thank you there to Leah Davis for sharing her knowledge and expertise with us. The levelling up agenda that the British government has announced comes at a time where inequalities have been further highlighted by the pandemic and we've all seen that when money is needed to deal with an emergency, it can be found. The agenda focuses on four key areas, boosting productivity, pay, jobs and living standards, spreading opportunities to improve public services, restoring a sense of community, local pride, belonging and empowering local leaders and communities. I'm sure that many of us can see the benefit that this would bring to those we are seeking to support. And as Leah said, these areas cover a lot of the work that charities are already working towards. At a time where our health service and other public services and even our publicly funded national broadcaster are under pressure, the changes that are coming have the potential of making life better or worse for us and the people we're supporting. It can feel that given the pressures and frantic nature of much of our sector's work at the moment, we don't have time to consider this, nor the appetite for getting caught up in some of the wider conversations or even culture wars that surround it. For charities that are regionally based, the levelling up agenda speaks to the work that they've been doing for a long time now. The inequalities we see today in our society have formed over many years and this paper offers long-term solutions which some charities may benefit from. Leah explained that the agenda mentions charities and civil societies a lot, which brings me hope that there's an opportunity for our sector to have a chance of a closer and more effective collaboration with government. Leah caveated this by highlighting that there is little new money being promised, and this will come as a blow to many given the clear inequities in our society and the long-term costs to so many of the poorest in our society. With rising prices, including energy and national insurance hikes, those with the least will have even less, and this seems to conflict with the levelling up agenda. Regardless of the challenges and the support of government, our sector will be needed more than ever over the coming years to deal with the likely rise in inequality and poverty. However, some glimmer of hope that came out of this conversation was how every policy and government agenda has the potential to be shaped by voices. And with the lived experiences of our sector and the passion of the many hundreds of thousands working in it and the millions supporting it, this could be the time for a cacophony to shape the future for us and those that come after us.
At a time where other governments are exploring new ways of dealing with poverty, such as universal basic income, we should all consider how trialling new ways of doing things and seeing things could help us with short, medium and long-term success in the work that we do. It's just as important that we focus enough time on these alternative views to drive new thoughts and ideas and contribute, push, encourage and deliver for those in our society who need it most. So thank you, dear listener, for getting this far with us. We hope you enjoyed this episode and continue to enjoy the podcast. We'd love to hear either way. It's just left for me to thank our corporate sponsors. This episode of Charity Chat has been brought to you by our platinum sponsor, Work for Good. Work for Good believes everyone should be able to turn the work they do into good. Through their fundraising platform, they offer charities a way to engage and work with small businesses, including founders, owners and sole traders who want to make an impact for charities through their sales. To find out more, please visit workforgood.co.uk. I'd also like to thank Giant Squid Audio Lab for sponsoring our podcast kit, Magda Axmit for our beautiful website, check it out at charitychat.org.uk. And of course, Forrester Fools, who have playing, been playing throughout the show, and are playing us out right now. That's it from me. Keep on doing what you can. Speak to you soon. Cheerio. Bye-bye.